What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from IndieHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these indie hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Kyle Golly, welcome to the Indie Hackers podcast. You're the founder of a company called Gravity. I think you are a solo founder and your company is bootstrapped, correct? Yep, that's correct. And uh, you've been, I think, growing your revenue at a pretty significant rate. You've been posting on Indie Hackers about how you 3x your revenue during COVID. Uh, so we're going to get into that story. But first, I'm going to ask you to do something challenging. I'm going to ask you to describe what Gravity does in a way where even people who aren't software engineers might understand it. Because this is a very, you know, a business that's very targeted at programmers. Yeah, and this is this is this is where I have a benefit because I can talk very technical to people and they understand it. But the the non technical pitch is I help founders and software companies save around three months of development time whenever they're building their software as a service web application. I love that description because it's like it's easy to understand as a layperson because you're just talking about benefits. You're like, who is this for? Software engineers and web developers. You know, what what is the benefit? I help them save three months of time. But if you're describing yeah. it to like your actual customers, if I go to your website, use gravity.app, it's build a Node.js and React SaaS app at warp speed, <laughs> set up a new SaaS product, you know, without, you know, using <laughs> other boilerplate, you know, it's very, it's very specific, which is probably what it should be because like your customers actually know what you're doing, but like anyone else who's not your customer is like, what the hell does any of this even mean? Yeah, I was actually I was actually doing a webinar earlier today and they weren't tacky and they were like, they were reading the description on it. They were like, eh? What is this? Is SaaS? How do I pronounce it? SaaS? Like sassy? Yeah, what is SaaS? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Well, it's it's going really well. Are, are you transparent at all with your revenue numbers? Have you shared, um, you know, bar park estimates or what they actually are? I used to. I used to share them on Indie Hackers. I've kind of I've removed it recently because I've had some issues with copycats. Uh, so right. I'm, tra- I'm being a little bit less transparent than I right. used to be. Um, but usually doing around tank about eight to ten k a month. Yeah, there's always a point, I think, where some companies will be transparent and then decide, I'm pulling the plug on this. It's getting to be substantial enough where I don't want to clue my competitors into how successful I am. And in a way, that's like almost a telltale sign that you are successful. It's like, wait, what's, this guy used to share his revenue. What happened? Like, he must be crushing it. But also, it probably takes you off the map a little bit because people are so attracted to seeing these numbers. You know, if you do like an AMA, for example, on Indie Hackers, you say like, I'm Kyle Golly, I'm making you know, XYZ dollars a year or a month, people will click on that way more than they'll click on something that doesn't have the revenue numbers. And so it's like a sort of double-edged sword where you're less likely to get competitors, but you're also less likely to get, you know, customers or fans or, you know, compatriots who want to basically help commiserate with you and talk to you and collaborate with you. I did notice that like, as Gravity got better known, and I was putting out, I was being like completely transparent about all this stuff. Like people were getting in touch in my web chat going, I'm going to copy this. And then I've actually had some incidents recently where people have like, have copied the product. They've even like ripped off like chunks of the landing page, trying to replicate the, trying to replicate the SEO strategy that I'm using. So I'm a bit, I'm a lot more wary now about, about what I'm putting out there. That's super sketch. It's weird that people do this. I mean, maybe it's not weird. People are trying to succeed. They have a huge financial incentive. <laughs> they see exactly how much money you're making. They're like, that would change my life. And then they see kind of the facade of what you're doing. They look at your website. They look at your SEO strategy. They don't see what's going on behind the scenes, but they see what's, what's kind of 
the outer layer of what you're doing, and then they assume that's all that you're doing, and they say, oh, if I do that, I'll also make $10,000 a month. And so they copy it, and they copy your design, they copy the color schemes, and they copy the language you use. And like, as far as I've seen, like 99 times out of 100, it doesn't go anywhere. Because people who aren't imaginative enough or aren't strategic enough to do anything more than copy the outer layers usually don't succeed. But it's still pretty scary as the person who spent all that time creating all the stuff in the first place to see somebody else try to get what you've got. Yeah, the, the product part, I'm not so worried about. But it's the fact that this person is like copied and pasted all the metadata from my HTML. They've copied, they basically copied my FAQs, copied like chunks of my license. You can do a, um, like a, there's an HTML tag called like the canonical URL. And what's funny is it'll kind of tell Google like, hey, this page is not only, you know, one of many pages, but it's like the main page. So if anybody ever copies this page, like, and they have this tag, like, this is the actual page that matters. Don't rank the other pages. And often copycats aren't sophisticated enough not to copy that. <laughs> so they'll put in their code, like the same canonical URL that points back to your website <laughs> and not know that they're giving you the credit because they're just like copy pasting everything. It's pretty funny. That's smart. So let's talk about your journey to get to where you've gotten, because not very many solo indie hackers get here. It's like something to be celebrated, I think, if you can get to the point where you're, you're making a living. Are you full-time on this? Yeah. I started this journey around eight years ago now. So uh, I started another company. Uh, it was called Get Invited. And that was an online event ticketing platform. Raised venture capital. It was basically doing the complete opposite to what I'm doing now. I raised venture capital. had hired a team. I uh, was spending a lot of time traveling and then trying to grow really quickly. And what happened was I, I had this bacteria living in my stomach that the doctor took years for it to be diagnosed. This bacteria doesn't respond well to stress. So I was like, I was getting mega stressed, like dealing with investors and investment round had fallen through. There was one point where we had to let like half of the team go. And, and I was relatively young and new to this. And the stress was just like compounding, compounding, compounding. And then one day I actually was like, I was making my lunch. I started to like, I started to like vomit this black stuff. So I started, I like Googled it. It was like vomit and black stuff. It was like, yeah, this is a medical emergency. You got to like urgent medical attention. So I went to the hospital. I remember just lying in the hospital bed and like everything just went completely white. And then I woke up and had all these like, like the ECG of me, had all these tubes in my arms. My mom was like standing at the end of the bed, just looking like completely horrified. And then, I remember just lying there that night thinking, I'm either going to die or something is like seriously wrong with me and like my life is gonna is gonna change forever. And I remember thinking, I've just been like investing all of my energy and time into trying to build this big company. I haven't really been doing any of the other things that I wanna do, I haven't been traveling. So I promised myself then if I got better, I would go and do some traveling. And I would try and find a better work-life balance. And that brought me to Thailand. So like, I came to Thailand for a month. And then bizarrely, I met this guy who actually sat down beside me in a co-working space. And he used to go to my high school back home. So like, as I was leaving high school, he was starting high school. And I asked him, like, what are you doing? He was like, I used to work for a startup um, in Belfast and I didn't like it. So I quit my job, I moved to Chiang Mai, Thailand. And I've become a digital nomad. And I was like, what's that? And he was like, oh, you just travel around um, all these different countries and build your business. I find this idea really interesting. So I went back home for Christmas and I booked a one-way ticket to Thailand. And then I spent the whole year just traveling around Thailand, Vietnam, Bali, Japan, 
but I was completely lost because at this company that had raised this money for, for and I was trying to grow it, I kind of realized that that's not the life that I wanted. I wanted to be traveling around. I wanted to have a lot of freedom. And then two years ago, I was in a co-working space and uh, I knew I wanted to start another product. I wanted to build another like SaaS product and I wanted to do it myself. And I knew that the process of uh, of like spinning up a new product, it was really time consuming. And then you would have to spin up a few different products, try out a few things to get it right. So I basically built this like template that had like authentication, Stripe payments, like a user interface. And the idea was I could spin something up really quickly and then it would save me a lot of time. And then I just showed it to this guy who was sitting in front of me in the co-working space. And he was like, what is this? I was like, oh, this is just like this really like crappy template thing that I've made to make my life easier. And he was like, and this is this is amazing. People will pay for this. And he, I was like, no, they won't. They won't. Developers will build everything themselves. And he goes, no, no. Like, <laughs> There's a couple of like people doing, like they've got like a Ruby on Rails version. Like I've never seen one in JavaScript. And he was like, you should go on the Indie Hackers and try and sell this. And I was like, what's Indie Hackers? And it's this community of people they're just building their own products. You know, they're they're not raising venture capital. They're just trying to do everything themselves. And I was like, this sounds like exactly like what I want to do. And then I think I went on, made a few posts, and then I talked about this boiler plate that I was making. And then I sold three copies via Indie Hackers in the first month. And then I was like, okay. Very cool. Where's my cut? <laughs> I want to cut of this revenue. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. This is, this is such a cool story. So let's go to the beginning of it. You're lying on your, potentially your deathbed, right? You don't even know what's going to happen to you. And you're trying to think about all the different things in your life that like you wish you could have done. How long does that feeling last? Because I've had like a similar experience where I was like, I don't really know if I'm going to survive this. And it was very striking at the time. You know, I was like, well, like, what do I want to do? How do I want to live the rest of my life? Uh, and that wasn't that long ago. That was like a few months ago. And now I've like completely forgotten about it. And I'm back into my sort of normal habits, doing what I would do if I'd never had that experience. Uh, what's it been like for you? I mean, it completely changed my life. So like, I mean, it changed how my approach to business, it changed my whole lifestyle. So like I've spent the last few years, spent most of my time traveling or living in Thailand. Um, I completely changed my diet, like because I had problems in my stomach, I went um, plant-based i've stuck to that for five years now so it like it, it basically like it changed every aspect of my life and it still it still affects me every day like sometimes if i find myself like slipping into like a negative thought pattern i always bring myself back to like i was sick for like five years and i was in a lot of pain i was vomiting every day um, before this all like came to a head in hospital, I lost my like four top teeth. They basically just disintegrated because I was puking so much. So anytime I like feel myself getting into like a negative thought pattern, I like just bring myself back to this time. It was like, think of all the suffering and like that night in hospital where you just thought like everything was going to end. It's crazy that like a lot of these changes have lasted for you because they are such firm commitments. Like buying a one-way ticket to Thailand. Like that's a thing where you make that decision up front and you buy the ticket and you get on the plane and you fly away and then you don't have to like keep making that decision again every single day, right? You're in Thailand now. Like you're living this lifestyle and it's like the decision has been made. Versus other types of decisions that you make like dietary decisions, you do have to make that decision every single day. Like every single day you have to decide what am I going to eat? And those seem to be the hardest kinds of lifestyle changes to maintain. But I think in your sort of corner, you have like this obviously really horrible traumatic experience that you went through. 
I can kind of serve as a constant reminder. And so even if you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to eat like more plants again today. Like that steak looks pretty good. You can remember like, well, I don't also want to be like vomiting and in the hospital. To be honest, I think for most people, the idea of traveling around the world, trying to build a business, it sounds pretty stressful. It's expensive to travel. It is, it's full of uncertainty to build a business. Maybe let's talk about the finances of that. How did you, how did you finance moving to Thailand and traveling the world for years while trying to build an online business? It's not actually that expensive to to live here. Like you can probably have like a very luxurious lifestyle in Thailand for like fifteen hundred dollars a month. Yeah, I've heard I've heard stories of people living in Bali for like twenty thirty dollars a day, and that's everything. That's like housing, food, Wi Fi, like transportation, which is absolutely nuts to me because like I've lived in San Francisco for ten years and Seattle for another year, and it's like ah, I lived like twenty dollars an hour <laughs> to survive here. <laughs> Yeah, like if you're trying to bootstrap in San Francisco, it, you've either got like your runway is going to be so short. Like if if, or if you just move to say Bali or Thailand, Vietnam, you're going to extend that runway by like 10 or 20x. Exactly. So I guess it's kind of an ideal stressless way to be an indie hacker if you can combine it with being a digital nomad. But then there are other stresses of travel. So for example, I grew up in Atlanta. I was there until I was 18. Like most of my family is in the Southeast. All of my friends up to that point lived there. And then I lived in Boston for five years. And I went to SF for 10 years. And like every time I've moved, it's been kind of like a clean break with the social structures and the people that I have known there. You know, I still keep in touch and we'll see each other every so often, but it's like, I now have to form like entirely new social connections. And I imagine if you're being a digital nomad and traveling around, it's kind of the same thing where it's like, well, probably none of your family live in Thailand <laughs> or Southeast Asia. So like, how are you making friends? How are you like nurturing a social life for yourself when you're in a place where you're not connected to anybody? It is difficult. And the first year I was doing this, I was moving around a lot. So I spent like two months in Bali, a couple of weeks in Vietnam. And that was challenging. Like it wasn't very productive because you've all that stress of like moving to a new place, trying to find somewhere to live, trying to find the places to eat, etc. Whereas now I tend to spend like most of my time in Thailand. So I'm probably more of a digital expat than a digital nomad. But what you notice is like if you spend a lot of time in a couple of different places, you'll see the same people kind of moving around that circuit. So making friends with local people who are, who are constant here. So every time I come back, I have Thai friends that, that they're always here, which makes it a lot easier because every time I do come back, there is a different group of people. Still a few expats that are here long term. Um, and I, I find that environment is much more productive for building a business than constantly moving around. I've uh, done some traveling for like ND Hackers meetups. For example, I've been to Cape Town a couple of times and met a lot of the ND Hackers out there and Toronto and the UK and all over uh, the States. And it is cool when you get to, like familiar with the place and you're like, oh, here's all the places to eat. Here's the part of town that I want to stay in. So when you come back the second or the third time, you're not going through this whole process of like, you know, spending eight hours a day just trying to figure out like how to live. <laughs> and you can just like immediately set up shop. And if you need to work on something, just like start working. So tell me about this process of coming up with the idea for gravity. You mentioned that you're sort of working on, I think, something to make yourself faster or to potentially just like help improve development speed. And then somebody told you like, hey, this could be something people would pay for. Whenever I started this, I, I had no vision for this being a, like a business or, or any kind of commercial product. I just wanted to create a boiler pit that made my own process of like shipping products 
faster because I just didn't want to be wasting a lot of time on every project, like setting up payments, authentication, or all the kind of boring stuff that the customers don't actually care about. I just wanted to like deploy the boilerplate and then spend like a month or two building like the core MVP features. So it was like a classic case of like I was just trying to scratch my own itch. And then I just had this serendipitous conversation with this guy who pointed out that yeah, people will, will pay for this. And, and my initial assessment was like, no, developers will, they will spend the three months building the stuff themselves. And, and a lot of them do, to be fair. But I think like you've got this like intersection of like developers and entrepreneurs on indie hackers that, that can see the value of, yeah, I could spend three months building this, but like it's a, it's a huge waste of my time. You know, I should just buy this off the shelf and spend those three months building like the the core features that the customers are going to pay for and i think that that sort of fear you have that like no one's going to pay for this because they can build it themselves is number one super common and number two as you pointed out like half true it's not true that nobody will pay for it but it is true that a lot of developers will will talk about the fact that they're going to build this for themselves or already are building something like this for themselves and it's easy to get discouraged by that it's very easy to like start building something and look out and see like, oh, a bunch of other people have already built something like this. And even my ideal customer who hasn't started using this is just telling me they're going to you know, use it on a, like build it on their own. Like, why should I even do this at all? Right. And it turns out that most of the businesses that I talk to that are successful uh, persist despite that. You know, like McDonald's is a successful hamburger chain, despite existing in a world where like people can make hamburgers at home. And there were already other stores that were selling hamburgers. And it turns out that that's kind of true on the web as well for a large variety of products. At least any products that like aren't social networks or sort of winner-take-all markets where network effects make it so that there should really only be one winner. When you apply that thinking to anything, it doesn't make sense. Like you could say, well, people would just build their own email service provider or people would just build <laughs> their own like payment processor. The smart people don't want, they want to build as little as possible and then they want to buy as much as they can or, or outsource as much of it as possible. Yeah, exactly. And this is the, the entire beauty of software is that essentially it's extremely scalable. So it might take me three months to build my own version of Gravity or it might take you three months to build a version of Gravity that I can use. Um, but then I can pay you a relatively small amount for it because you can just copy the so like the software infinitely, right? So if you want to build like, I don't know, uh, a burger chain, you've got to make a hamburger for every person you want to sell a hamburger to. You build internet software, a SaaS business, like you don't have to do that. So you can sell yeah. it for much cheaper than it was for you to develop over three months, which means that like it's actually a steal for me to buy it from you rather than spending those three months on it. And so yeah. I think the essential sort of um, calculus that people are getting wrong when they're afraid that people will build things on their own is they're just not valuing their time enough and they're not valuing other people's time enough. And they're sort of underestimating how much people are willing to pay five or $10 a month you know, okay, I'll pay like, yeah, $15 or $35 or whatever it is, rather than spending three months of my life building something that someone else can build. It's kind of a no brainer. Yeah. And especially if you're selling to developers, it's like, you can almost look at time and money as like somewhat interchangeable. A lot of people who don't have time will spend money to gain time. And a lot of people who don't have money will spend a lot of time to get more money. And like, you're talking to developers, like software engineers, like they have money. For the most part, they're very highly paid professionals. They're just short on time. And so they will exchange that money for time. It's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't think about when they're becoming founders. So not only will your customers do this, but a lot of founders will do this as well, where they're trying to work on a side project and they're like, I just don't have time. You know, like I'm trying to build this thing on the side of my full-time job and I've got a family and I've got responsibilities and friends and hobbies. Like, how do I do this? And some of the smartest indie hackers I've talked to 
rather than starting a business from scratch, will be like, well, I've got tens of thousands of dollars saved up. Like, why don't I just buy a business, get a huge head start and work on that? Trade in a little bit of money to gain yourself a ton of time if time is the resource that you're short on. And I, I think a lot of people also underestimate like what exactly they need to do to even just build like the plumbing code for, for a SaaS. So like Gravity has about 15,000 lines of code to just do the most basic stuff like login forms. But I know everyone thinks, oh, I can build a login form in like two hours. But whenever you actually like think about all the security features and the things to do it right. properly, it's actually a huge amount of work. And then the same thing with payments, the same thing with user interface and all these different like features that nobody really cares about or actually, or well, the customers don't care about are actually a huge amount of work to do properly. And then I think people maybe start it and then realize, wow, yeah, this, this is going to take, this is not going to take me like two days to do. This is going to take me like three, three months. Right. Because there's so many other hats that you have to wear as a founder. And so if you can minimize the code part of things, then you can actually spend time marketing and selling your app. And like that kind of stuff is super important. You clearly did that with Gravity. I'm looking back on your uh, Andy Hackers product page. You've got like a timeline of all your different updates. And if I go all the way back to like January 2019, you posted an update talking about how you just crossed the 30 user mark today. So you finally had 30 users. And then people were commenting and asking like, how did you find, how did you find these first users? And you said, oh, you know, 50-50 ND hackers and SEO at the beginning. Now it's more like 40% ND hackers, 40% SEO, and 20% ad campaigns that you were running. So walk me through like your, your mindset back in the day. Like how exactly were you using ND hackers to find customers? How were you using SEO to find customers? And how did you end up using advertising to find customers? So with ND hackers, I was basically just posting product updates. And then I was looking for conversations where people were talking about boilerplates. The thing I was so surprised to learn was like, if you go onto Reddit and you look for these topics and you're like, Hey, I'm working on something that people just don't want to know. But on indie hackers, people are, people are open to, I suppose like you're, you're basically trying to sell them in a way. But I think because, because you're going to give them something, something that they can see the value of straight away, they're much more open to it. And I, I think there's like a good sense of like camaraderie in the, in the indie community where people do want to buy each other's products and they, they want to help each other out. So it was a mixture of like just getting involved in a lot of discussions, not just discussions about boilerplates. Like I was, I was making sure that I'm going on the indie actors every day and I'm answering a couple of questions about different things and then keeping the product page updated, making sure I'm always posting milestones and then like posting those milestones on Twitter and promoting all those achievements. With, with SEO, it was kind of a happy accident because nobody else was building like a Node.js SaaS boilerplate. There was like a couple of competitors that were doing Ruby on Rails stuff, but I wasn't competing with them in the search engines. So I was able to get up to number one relatively easy by just picking the right keywords. The, the best channels for me have been indie hackers, SEO, and, and also Twitter now because I've been much more active on Twitter in the last year or so. I do get sales via Twitter now. Have you thought about hiring? Have you thought about like, you know, bringing people on to help you out or is it only just paying contractors and stuff to help you out? I've thought about it. Like in my last company, I had two co-founders and we would hired people. My issue is like, I, I do like doing everything myself and I've got it to a point that I'm extremely happy with by myself. And the freedom that comes with being a solo entrepreneur is, is really appealing to me. So 
I know like maybe six years ago things were a bit different because we had like a physical office. Everyone came to the office every day. That's not going to be the case now because, you know, a lot of companies are open to remote work. But I still find that like there's a sense of freedom with being solo opener. Do you feel like in a way that you want to build a team of people around you eventually? Because, I mean, it's one thing to hire out of necessity and say, oh, I should hire um, because, it's, you know, it's a good skill to have and it will help me grow. But it's another to hire out of like desire, like this feeling like, like, you know what, I would really like to build like a team of people to work with me and to have sort of a social lifestyle built into my business. Does that come into play at all? I mean, some days I do think it would be nice to have a team of people that like you sit and bounce some ideas with, but mm. I know from experience, I'm terrible at managing people. <laughs> so like, so I just try and stay away from it. And what I, what I right. find is a good replacement is just, it's just being active in the community and like making friends mm. with other entrepreneurs and then just meeting up with them and bouncing ideas around. I think like whatever I, I'm managing people. I get very stressed out and I, I don't like confrontation, don't like dealing with issues. So right. I'm just working on my own. I'm working with contractors because the dynamic is always is always very different to an employee. Right. It means my stress levels are usually very low. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Like being an indie hacker in one in one sense is a way to I guess create a business that allows you to surround yourself with people that you want. But in another sense, it's a way to create a business that prevents you from having <laughs> to deal with the burden of being surrounded by people in a capacity that you don't want. So then you can, you know, get your social interaction and, and make friends elsewhere. Yeah. And I think like because I've done both, now that I'm like super happy with Gravity because I'm actually back working on the product. Whereas in my last business, I started working on the product and then I just worked on spreadsheets and dealing with investors. Right. And now, now I feel like I've actually come back to doing what I love, which is like sitting thinking about the vision for the product and then executing, you know, the, the development, the design. And I also enjoy like some of the marketing as well. And you also had a stint, you know, before you did any of this, basically working in venture capital, which I think is ironic because you are now building a bootstrapped indie startup. Have you ever been tempted to quote unquote go big to raise a bunch of money and try to see if you could take gravity to like venture scale rather than indie hacker scale? No, I like I'm because I've had that experience. I'm not saying like at some point in the future, I may start something else and I may raise money and I may try and go big with it. But from experience, that that, that experience of trying to like go, go big go, or go home, like that, that's what stressed me out. I felt that like I never really had a sense of satisfaction with my work. It was always like, right, we've got to shoot for this milestone. And then when you achieve it, then the next bigger milestone comes along. Whereas what I'm enjoying now is like the very deep work that I'm doing on the product, thinking about other products that I can add, other things. Um, I'm very like involved in the work. Whereas I felt like with venture capital, it was just like, just move, just everything was just moving so fast. I didn't really enjoy it. But who knows, like maybe after this experience, I'll want to do it again and I'll, I'll do it differently. It's pretty wise to be able to look at what you were doing and, and, because I mean, there's like two two things to get caught up in. One of them is like, oh, every time we hit a milestone, we've got to go bigger and go harder. And that's not very satisfying. But then the other part of it that I think is very attractive to lots of people is like, you know, I'm doing this huge thing and setting these huge, audacious, ambitious goals. And there's something that's satisfying about that. And to not get so caught up in that latter part, which is kind of like external validation, you know, people will praise me for achieving this huge goal. And to allow yourself to look at like kind of like the day to day, which is like, I don't like the feeling <laughs> of always having some bigger goal that I always have to hit and never being able to be satisfied. I think it's, it's very wise. And I, I like that having this experience in VC 
sort of catapulted you into being an indie hacker before you even knew what indie hackers was. Very cool. Well, what's your goal with Gravity? You don't necessarily want to build a big team. You don't want to raise venture capital. Uh, you're sort of cranking out code and building features and working on your marketing to grow the app. Like, what, what kind of life do you envision for yourself? I'm pretty happy with the life that I have right now because I'm, you know, I'm able to travel, live anywhere I want, do whatever I want. I've no, I have a lot of freedom with the business. I can choose when I want to work, where I want to work. I'm very happy with what I'm working on. I suppose like the, the challenges for me are like, or how do I grow the business? So I'm looking at like other products. So I built a product called FireLab, which is like a, an automated user testing product. So like my strategy is to build more of these like satellite products around the main boilerplate to provide other tools for people to solve different problems. Because testing is another thing that I find like indie hackers, like they just don't want to spend the time writing tests. Or setting up tests because it's it's always just low down on the priority list. So I'm building Fire Labs so that they can just like they can just set up the test in a browser in like a couple of minutes and then forget about it. And then the test will just like continually run. I like the idea that you've set up your life in such a way where you can like keep building new things. Like I talked to um, Saba, the founder of a company called Veed, uh, earlier this year, and Veed is like video editing software. But then you look at like the other apps that they've like bought or that they're building, and it's like they're doing media recording software and podcast recording software and a screen recorder and a webcam recorder and like all sorts of like different tools and things like for adding effects to videos that aren't necessarily part of their core product. But it's kind of fun to work on because it's like they've created a business where they don't have to just work on one thing and only one thing for the rest of their life. And like I kind of have the same thing with indie hackers where it's like, oh, I can build a job board or a co-founder dating tool or something else. Uh, And you've got the same thing with what you're working on. So there's not only all the freedom that you mentioned and the lack of stress, but like the infinite variability to keep building and working on what you're doing and know that it all kind of contributes to the same thing. You've been through quite a lot with this journey. Obviously, it started off in like sort of a scary, traumatic place, but now you've gotten to this point where you have all these great benefits and you're sort of a self-sufficient project building machine. What do you think other indie hackers can take away from your journey? A lot of people are trying to get to where you are. They have no idea what to work on, or maybe they're working on something and it's you know not really seeing very much traction. What advice would you have for them? The mistake I always used to make was the kind of classic, like, you know, trying to find this, like, moment of divine inspiration for an idea to work on and then go and say, like, and, I, and I've done this even recently. They go and sing like, months into building something. I, I know with Gravity, I, I just kind of haphazardly stumbled across this idea by solving my own problem. But now I have a very structured approach to things. So I'll, I've just read uh, Arvid's book, Audience First, which which is awesome. And like, I'm really into this process of like finding the audience and then trying to find the the problems. And I, I did experiment with some stuff a few years ago. Um, I think before I built Gravity, I was just I was looking for something to build. And I was going on to Reddit and I was just going into all these random subreddits and asking people what their problems were. So I find I was in like a like a, a subreddit for firefighters asking them like what problems do you have and they were like actually managing our inventory is like it's it's a huge problem it takes hours every day and it's all done on paper and i was like this is this is right for for a SaaS product i was like what if there was a software product that just did it all for you they were like that was amazing but with no budget (laughs) so it's just like (laughs) (laughs) okay but i think just that process of like just going into communities and talking to people, even talking to people that you would never normally talk to, like like firefighters, and just trying to find out what problems they have. And I think once you find the the problem that's painful, the customer has enough money 
to to pay your reasonable fee for it. I don't want to say the rest is easy, but it's the rest tends to fall into place because I've built like ten products in my career, like eighty percent of them have have failed. But the the thing that I've noticed about the two that have been successful is like they got traction early on. Um, you know, there was a very clear value proposition, and people were prepared to part with cash very quickly. So I think just getting to that point where people give you some money as early as possible. Once you figure that part out, and you you know you're solving a valuable problem, the rest tends to fall into place much easier. Yeah, I love that because that's like the core thing you need to get right. And you can get everything else right. You can get like an amazing logo and just have like the best marketing strategy in the world and a really well designed website and just like a bulletproof product that's been like tested and coded perfectly well. But like, if you don't have a customer who's got a burning problem and they don't have the money to pay you <laughs> to solve it, then like nothing's gonna work. And if you do have that, somehow, even if everything else is broken, your business will make money and like people will say yes and you ask them to buy your thing. So I think that's the best place to start. And it's it's not surprising to me that you ended up selling tools to developers, especially indie hackers, who are motivated to buy something because they understand how buying your tool will save them time and help them make money on the journey to make their own indie hacking business. Yeah. And like what you just said, but the opposite being true is like whenever like the first version of Gravity was was terrible. It didn't have any of the features that it has now. The code was a lot of it was rushed to just get it out there and test it. But bizarrely, developers didn't care. Like, and like, the code still worked and it was it was robust. It just wasn't as elegant as it is now. And I was like, oh no, they're going to be put off. But they weren't. You know, they were just like, this solves a problem. I'll tidy the code up myself. And then eventually, like, once I got a little bit of traction, I fixed all those problems and then just gave yep. them the update. And there's like this concept of the the early adopter, like the visionaries. Like these are the people, the customers who are just so ambitious that they can look at a pile of trash and figure out like, oh, how can I use this to get ahead of everybody else? You know, or they can look at a brand new app. You know, they can look at Gravity when it's in like its earliest alpha version and it barely works. And they're like, well, no one else is using this. Like I'm willing to deal with the rough edges to get ahead. And if you can find those people, you don't have to make something that's super polished or super nice. You can do that later and focus on like these visionary customers first. Well, listen, Kyle, I think uh, your journey is an inspiring one. I love talking to any hackers like you who essentially are just living the dream and not making a big deal out of it. You know, you're not trying to be on the front page of TechCrunch telling everybody what's going on. You're just sort of traveling the world and building cool stuff. Hopefully I can check in with you again on the show another few years or months and see where you're at. But in the meantime, thanks a lot for coming on the show. And can you tell listeners where they can go to find out more about what you're working on? Thank you very much for having me. Like, if anyone wants to find out more, I'm most active on Twitter. Um, so my username is just my full name, Kyle Gawley, G-A-W-L-E-Y. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Gravity, it's usegravity.app. I also have a blog on there where I do, I do mostly talk about building SaaS products. Cool. Thanks so much, Kyle.